Thanks, Brian. Well, good morning. Um, happy Mother's Day again. Uh, for if I fail to for, uh, to mention it, if you've dropped your kids off, they should be coming out with something for you mothers. So, um, and for the youth, if you if all of your kids are older, youth, um, there's something for you to grab for your mother if she's here to give to them as well. So. Um, well, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. Um, so we have been walking through Romans, right? We're in Romans chapter 8. So if you don't have a Bible, grab one. There's, there's some littered around or open up your phone and Google Romans 8 ESV and uh, it will pop up to Bible Gateway. It'll probably be the very first one. Click on that and it'll give you everything that you need. Um, but um, we're going to be bouncing around a bit in scripture this morning, okay? Um, and that's, that's for a very good reason. Because we're going to talk about the next piece of God's salvation story for us. And honestly, it's a very challenging piece because it it sounds weird, okay? Our glorification. I know that sounds blasphemous. And so we're we're going to walk through this very carefully because what Scripture teaches about this is not that we are going to become equal with God or anything of that sort, okay? Um, there are other, you know, there, there, there is a religion that believes that, um, and that is not scriptural, that's not biblical, that's not in any sort of the explanation of what the Bible communicates is what we are going to receive. And so what we've seen, right, is that, that God has uh, justified us, Right? That's, that was the very first piece, right? He justified us, he gave us the righteousness of his son, and he took our sins upon his son. And that, that is the good news, right? That you didn't do anything, right? You didn't work really hard. God didn't look at your righteous life and go, you know what? That's somebody I want to hang out with in eternity. That's not how that worked, right? It, it, is, it is specifically that, that God used his son. He, Jesus came took on flesh, and he did this great exchange for us. And so in God's eyes, we are now justified, right? And we talked about that, that he imputed a, a, a fancy word to basically say he considered us righteous. He considers you righteous if you believe in his son, right? If you've been united with Jesus. And so we have this beautiful justification. We have this righteousness, and hopefully this last week you read, and we're going to back up because I always do it, and I know theoretically you guys are supposed to do stuff, and then I'm, I'm going to do the next one, but then I always back up and cover what you just covered this last week. But I'm going to do it again because what he says is that you're now adopted. We're going to spend a little bit of time on what does that mean that we're adopted children of God, that the relationship between us and God has changed. And all of this has happened because God gave us his Holy Spirit. The God of all creation chose to give us his spirit now, currently. If you're a believer of Christ, if you trust in him, if you've, if you've placed your faith in him, that you go, God, you know what's better for my life than I know, and I need you, I need your righteousness, I need, I need you to do something to rescue me, and, and you've placed your faith in Christ, like that is all it is, then God gives you his Holy Spirit. And now, what, we, what we've been unfolding these last couple of weeks, Bill, phenomenal job last week, so I know I texted you, but um, that was super cool. And, um, um, you know, and, and, and so what we've been unwrapping is, what are the benefits? What are, I know it sounds weird, and it sounds kind of like a rewards card or something, but like, what, what are the perks of having the Holy Spirit? And it's been, it's a lot. It's a lot, right? Like, like we now... Uh, have this new way of serving God. We don't serve God out of obligation. It, it, it should not be that way. The relationship's been changed. Um, we saw that, that our minds are now set on the things of the Spirit, like the things of God. Like, like we now have this, this, this passion and, and desire for, for God to be glorified that, that we didn't have before. We, we have the ability now, and this one's a huge one, to be able to detect our own sin and despise it. That's huge, right? Like, these are the perks that, that and the Holy Spirit is, is moving in our hearts, and when we say God changes our hearts, that's what he's saying. These are the things 
that come out of this. And this morning what we're going to see is that he adopts us and that we watch this relationship change, and then he glorifies us. Okay? So it's tough. And, and, and hopefully you should. You should struggle with that term a little bit because you should think, I want to be careful that I'm not stealing glory from God. That's, that's, our, that's the right response. So, so as I'm walking through this, I, I do so trepidatiously, and so we're going we're gonna to walk through a lot of verses because how we understand this is very important, right? What Jennifer just read, those verses, we're going to hit that he's changing us from glory to glory. There's this process of glorification that we have called sanctification. Starts now, okay? I know I'm using a ton of, ton of these religious-y words, but... Frankly, I just don't have better words. I hope I'm explaining them well, right? And we're doing this each week, right? So that it, it makes sense. Because what God does when he changes us, and he changes all these things, and we see sin differently, our lives start to change. We become more and more like Christ as we live our lives. And we will never stop becoming more and more like Christ until we are with Christ. And then we will plateau. And that plateau is our glorification. And that, that's it. So it doesn't happen here. So if you ever meet somebody that says that they've plateaued, walk away very carefully, slowly. Don't turn your back, okay? All right? All right, so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And so I just want to cage us as to where we're at and then hope, get, your, get, your, get your Bible fingers ready to, to go around and, and we're going to jump through this. But let, first, let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. And God, as we humbly come before you, we read these words and we balance this feeling of excitement and it's too good to be true with a, uh, just a cautious optimism and that, that we just, we don't want to steal your glory, Father, but yet we read these things and it, it's, it's thrilling. Father, would you um, draw us close to you, help us to understand this clearly? Help us to understand what you have for us so that we can live this life in a manner that is longing and looking forward to our full glorification with you. We thank you for this time, Father. We pray that you would open our eyes and our ears. Let us understand your word. May you guide us this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to start. Thank you, Brian, for reading 818. I walked outside and went, hey, I need you to read some verses. <laughs> so he's like, okay. Um, but we're going to back up. I don't know why I divulge these things. Um, we're going to back up to Romans 8, verse 14. Okay. So he's talking about this new relationship. And hopefully you read this this week. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So you have the Spirit. You're being led by the Spirit. You're a son and daughter of God. This, is, this, this changes everything, right? And then he says in verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And that, that word Abba, they, they transliterate it. They don't even try to translate it. It's, like, it's just an affectionate term. It's a very intimate term. It, it, some scholars believe it means like daddy. Like, it's this very intimate, beautiful, like, this, this changed relationship. It's not, got to go to church, got to, I don't know, whatever God wants, I guess I got to do what God wants me to do. It's not slavery. It's not. It's a changed heart that wants to do these things because we're, we're children and, and we're adopted and we've got this relationship and there's all sorts of stuff that we can unpack in that. But look at what he says in verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, so just pause for a second. The Holy Spirit tells us, reminds each one of you sitting down that you're a child of God. That should happen. That if, we, if we spend time with God and we're listening to him, he's going to go, you're my child. I love you. I love you discipline you, yes, but I love you, and I'm for you. We need to hear that. And no matter what the circumstances are in our lives, God's for us, especially, 
especially knowing that he's given us his Holy Spirit. Like he, the God of all creation dwells with inside of you as a believer in Christ. Just wrap your minds around that for a second. The infinite God, the God that, that speaks a word and creates. He's with me on this? Like, this is the God that has chosen to go into your jacked up life and go, you know what? I'm going to dwell with this person in order to change your heart. This is our God, and this is what he chooses to do in our lives. And look what he says in verse 17. And if you're children, then heirs. If you've got a Bible app, underline that or highlight it in the Bible app or whatever you want. Heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I'm going to hit that last verse here. That's, that's going to be the theme of like the rest of the sermon. So, so stand by. But heirs. When does heirdom... I don't know what that word is. When does that, when does that apply? Where, that's like, that's not now. That's, that's like a future. That's when we get an inheritance, right? That's in the future. That's looking forward to a time. So what he's saying is you're not just a child now. You will be a child in eternity. And in eternity, you will get an inheritance. Not money, not a boat, not any of those things, right? A, a real profound inheritance, and we're going to walk through, and that's what we're going to spend time on. What does that look like? That's the glorification. That's the peace, okay, that we're going to be looking at. We're going to, we're going to spend the first good part of this just looking at what that is, and then in light of that, how do we handle this? How do we handle the now? <laughs> how do we deal with the trauma and the suffering and the pain and the hardship and all the junk that goes along with this life. How do we handle that in light of what we will have in the future? So we're going we're gonna to unpack that a little bit. Um, turn over to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. The author of Hebrews expands on this a little bit. This is what it says. It says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, talking about Jesus here, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And we got to be careful here, right? Because he says, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Is, is, is this saying that we are going to be equal with Christ? No, 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 no. Okay, you with me on this? Co-heirs. In fact, the King James Version actually says joint heirs. It's as if like on this, this will, if you will, is, is like our names are, like there's Jesus' name and then our names are in that too. And so if Jesus is going to get what Jesus got, then we get what he's giving to us. Like, like we're all on the same document. Does that make sense? That's the unity that we have with Christ. We're united with him. This is where the implications of this united with Christ, this, the words that we use all the time, right? Like, this is it. Like, we're, we're all in the same document, okay? And so we're co-heirs with Christ. All right. Now, what does that mean for us? It means our lives are different. It means how we see our lives totally different because the relationships are all different now right if if the holy spirit comes into us and changes the way that we have a, a vertical relationship with god he also changes the way we have a relationship horizontally with each other right because you we we say this all the time and it gets it, sometimes it depends on how churched you are maybe right but like when people talk about like brothers and sisters in christ like 
hello, brother, hello, sister. It just sounds kind of weird, right? But, but in reality, I mean, it depends on how you say it and maybe the inflection in your voice. But like, if you say, what's up, brother, it's a little bit better than if you're like, hello, brother. You know, that, that sounds weird. <laughs> it's actually how my brother and I greet each other on the phone. Hello, brother, hello, brother. Um, that's true. Um, but anyway, anyway. So, so like it changes the relationship. There's this different horizontal relationship because, in fact, what, what he's going to say is that our relationship with each other, okay, ready? In this room and other followers of Christ, our unity in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit is closer than our blood unity or our DNA to our family members. That's what he says. Not how we, that's not what we see, right? That's not, it's hard. It's very difficult. But that's what he said. Look at, look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 3, verse 31. It says, and his mother and his brothers, and this is Mary, right? And Jesus' brothers came, and standing outside, they called, they, sorry, outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus wasn't being rude to his mother. It's Mother's Day. Certainly can't be, right? He wasn't. He wasn't being rude to his mother. Now, his brothers didn't believe in him. So you could say, well, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But that's not his point here. He's saying those who do the will of God, right? Like, like there is this, you know, we are all co-heirs with Christ. There's this unity amongst all of us, and we are all together on the same document that with us, all united with Christ, are going to be glorified, and we will enjoy the presence of God together in eternity. Like, this is huge. And, uh, and the, the, the rest of this sermon is not going to be about this, but I want you to let that one percolate a little bit. If your relationship, if Jesus' relationship with those who did the will of God was tighter and closer than his relationship with his mother and his brothers, what does that mean for your relationship with others in here? They love it. I can always count on Caleb and Kendall to uh, make it good. All right. So what does this unity look like? Okay, go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Or what does this glorification look like? It says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. What he is not saying here is that you have an obligation to go find some suffering. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is that it's inevitable. For those who are followers of Christ, you will suffer. You will suffer because you will be about your father's business. Because you will be about building his kingdom, your life will suffer. You will not fit into the mold. You will have to stand out. You will have to make decisions. You will have to do things. You will have to sacrifice things. You will have to choose to live a different life, a, a holy life, a set-apart life. You have to. And that's what he's pointing to here. He's like, right now, in this life, you will suffer. And if you are united with Christ and you suffer in this life, then you will be united with Christ when Christ is glorified. Do you see the parallel that he's making here? Be united here, be united here. Like this one leads to this one. Like it's all in the same. And he's like, so if you're going to suffer, if you're going to be united to Christ, you're going to suffer. But if you're going to be united to Christ, you're also going to be glorified. And so that's the beautiful promise that we get. And now we'll get to our verses today. All right, verse 18. Look at what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let me read this one more time. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing 
with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says it's not even worth comparing. This glorification is going to be so incredible that it's not even worth comparing to the difficulties and dilemmas and trials and tribulations and all the junk that goes on in this life. It's not even worth comparing. Now, what's that comparison he's talking about? He goes, is, is it? He's basically, like, the comparison is, is it worth it? That's really the, that's really the question, right? Is it worth it? Is, is all of this, is, if, is being united to Christ now and the suffering that comes along with it, is it worth the glorification that we will get? And Paul says, it's not even worth comparing. Clearly it's not. And that's what Paul says. So my question for you guys, is it worth it? Have you, have you asked that question? So here, here's, the, here's the troubling part. You may not have ever asked that question. Or you've, you've, you've figured out how to walk what you think is this line of lukewarm Christianity where you go, well, I don't, I don't really have to suffer because I can kind of walk over here if I need to and, and kind of walk this thing and play part of the world but come to church and, and I think God's all right with me. It's not what he says. Paul's making a very big contrast here. And, the, and he's not minimizing the contrast. He's just saying that it, it's not even worth comparing. This is bad, and this is so incredibly good. This is so incredibly good that it's not worth comparing. I mean, think about this. Like, we, we ask the question, is it worth it, like a billion times a day. You do. The second your alarm clock goes off, you ask, is it worth it? Am I right? For me, if my dog like wakes me up in the morning, I'm guaranteed, or like in the middle of the night, I'm guaranteed to oversleep for whatever reason. I don't understand why. Like my alarm hasn't changed, but like if that, that like break in my sleep cycle or whatever, like I will then like make an irrational decision of it's not worth it. And I snooze. And my wife wakes up and then she lays in bed awake and I'm sleeping again. Um, but we ask this question. We, we go to buy something and we go, is it worth it? Right? I find it amusing that we shop around to save 10 cents on a gallon of milk, but when we're buying stuff on Amazon, we don't really... <laughs> 10 cents is kind of below the threshold of care. But we ask this question. Is it worth it? Is, is this relationship worth it? relationship demands a lot. Whether that's a marriage relationship or a dating relationship or a friendship that you're just I'm there for this person, but man, sometimes it's a lot. Or somebody that, that, that's offending you or what, right? We, we ask the question, is it worth it so many times? And yet for some reason, we rarely ask it of eternity. We rarely sit there and ponder what, what God has in store for us. And, and this verse, verse 18, really just sets the stage. He goes, it's not even worth comparing, is what Paul says. Like, stop even thinking about it. Like, your trials, your tribulations, yes, they suck. But this is so good. Like, I don't know what words Paul can use to be more emphatic of how, how just, like, Yes, care about them, but don't care about them. Like somehow find that, that life where you're like, man, because here's what's beautiful, right? The, the path of sanctification, he promises us he is going to change us from one degree of glory to another. He does not promise us that in the midst of that, your life isn't going to go through just, you have no idea. We, none of us have any idea what tomorrow brings, Right? Like, world events could change like that. Uh, your, your relationships could dissolve, right? Like, we have no idea. But what he does promise is that you will go from one degree of glory to another in this life. He will draw you to himself more and more. He will change you more and more into the image of his son. That's a promise. That, that is going to happen. So the question is, is how do these things play into that? Good things? Bad things? It says that God conforms all things 
for the good of those who love him. We haven't gone to that verse yet in Romans, but we'll get there very shortly. That's what he says. Everything, good or bad, all of it, it's for us to be sanctified and ultimately glorified. So is it worth it? Ask yourself that. Because there's no, it should, it should be a decision. You should make that decision. And if you've never made that decision, if you're like, well, I don't know, I just kind of, yeah, I kind of just did these churchy things, and then I, I kind of, I don't know, I guess, I guess I'm a Christian, I, you know. I mean, I grew up in a Christian house, and I, I kind of, I know who Jesus is, and yeah, I believe that, I, I believe what people say he did. No, it's a, it's a decision. Is it worth it? Because at some point, if you haven't been there yet, you will be. At some point, you're going to, this, in this path, in this life, you're going to hit a point that's probably down here. And you're going to ask, is it worth it at that point? So he promises us that we're going to be glorified with Christ. So we've set all this up. So what is this, <laughs> right? Like I haven't even, we haven't even addressed like what this glorification actually looks like. So here, get your, get your Bible turning fingers ready here. He walks through what this glorification is, and this is all through, and we're going to start with Jesus' very words in John chapter 17. I might pass out up here, gosh. John chapter 17, verse 20. I do, this is Jesus praying to the Father on our behalf. This is called the high priestly prayer. If you haven't, this is just a super intimate prayer that Jesus has prayed for you specifically. John 17, 20. I do not ask for these only, he's talking about the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Right? And everybody that you go and proclaim the gospel to, this is who he's talking about now. He says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Okay? Unity. United to Christ. That's what he's saying here. Okay? In, in, in. Right? Like it's this, it's this. Now, this does not mean, okay, and we're going to see this, does not mean we are going to be equal with God. It means that we are united to God, okay? So that, if you've got a Bible, underline the so that, right? There's a reason that God goes, this is why I want this. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this one, but our unity is intended to communicate to the world that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not an option. Us being brothers and sisters in Christ, us being co-heirs, it's, it, that's, not a, it's not a, that's not something for like the, the, the real dedicated Christians. That's not what he's saying here. Our unity in the Holy Spirit, in Christ, is what communicates to the world that Jesus is the Son of God. So why doesn't the world believe that Jesus is the Son of God often? What's the accusation that we normally hear? Well, the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. They're superficial. They dress up nice. They put on nice clothes. They pretend like they're good. They're, they're really backbiting and mean to each other. They stab each other in the back. Isn't that what the world sees? Maybe you've seen that. And that should cause us to be so saddened by what sin has done. And he says, no, your unity should communicate to the world that the Holy Spirit has so much power that he can change your affections amongst each other and that you will actually care for each other closer with more fervency than maybe even those of your own family and your own blood. And he says in uh, verse 22, the glory that you have given me, this is Jesus talking to God, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that's us, that they may be one even as we are one. So Jesus says, I'm giving them glory. Jesus says this, okay? So we got to understand what this glory is, right? Okay, this is the glorification. That's the first one, right? So we're just going to take little bits and pieces as we walk through Scripture. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
this is, I'll tell you, this is what you do when you hear a topic and you're like, man, I don't know. I don't know how, how I want to make sure I don't misunderstand this. You just walk from one verse to the next verse, and you don't put a lot of um, interpretation in between them. You just let the text read for itself because this is the inspired word of God, right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does this. And, and I know that there's some kind of weird words there, right? Unveiled face, he's basically just saying like, like we, you know, we're, we can clearly see Christ. We can clearly see God. He's our Father now, right? There's this clear relationship. And when we're beholding him, when we're spending time looking at God, dwelling in his word, praying, when we behold him, we're being transformed into the image of his son. We become more like him. This is, we, we do this in the world, right? If you want to be a great athlete, you, you put yourself around great athletes. And you become like them, right? Like, it, it makes sense. If you're, if you're like in a work environment, you do an internship, right? You try to be like the people who have been successful, and you're like, so then I can be successful, right? Hopefully, as, as kids or as parents, like you, you see that there's that relationship. Hopefully, your kids are going, I want to be like my parents. Like, I want this. I want to be like this. This is what we do. And so when we behold God, when we behold Jesus, when we're spending time looking at him and reading his words and seeing how he interacted in life, his perfect righteousness, we go, I want to be like him. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to become more and more like him. Go to the next chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul's reiterating what he says here in Romans. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Same thing that he says in Romans, right? That's what we just read. He's like, he's preparing for us. I, I, I do find it humorous that Paul writes light momentary affliction. If you know the story of Paul, his life would not be characterized as light momentary affliction. And yet, that's how he interprets his circumstance. In light of the glory that he's going to be receiving. You see, that's, that's the difference. How bad is this? How bad is tomorrow? How bad, is, how bad are the circumstances that are surrounding you? Well, I don't know. But in light of who God is, in light of the glory that you're going to receive, it may not be as bad as you might think. You may be able to kind of just roll and get back up pretty quick. Maybe. maybe more, It may be more difficult. I'm not, not trying to make it minimal, but... But for Paul to say this light momentary affliction seems to be the power of the Holy Spirit telling Paul, hey, you know what? Things happen. Eh, you know what? You, you go to jail for a little bit. Yeah. Eh, you know what? They're going to try to kill you. Yeah, whatever. I don't know how he does it, but this is how he describes it. And he says, an eternal weight of glory. Okay, now turn over to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus comes back, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. There's something about this, right? There's something, when Christ comes back, things are going to change. Look at what it says back in, I'm going to make you jump back again. Back to 1 Corinthians, chapter 15 now. Chapter 15, verse 52. Listen to how Paul describes this is Christ's return. This is, what we're long, this is what we're waiting for, right? He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. If you have your Bibles, underline that word imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this 
perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Underline that one. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying here is at least we know that we're going to be changed. We're going to be changed. What we're going to be, it's not super clear, but we know it's immortality. And I know this sounds like a movie script. It does. And honestly, I feel like, I feel like the fact that we have so many movies about these things kind of waters it down and convolutes things for us. But this is real. This isn't a movie script. This is really what God is promising us. This is what feeds the movie scripts, right? In one way or another, however it's changed, right? That, like this idea that we will be immortal. Like God's going to give us immortality. That we will be imperishable. We will exist forever because God is choosing to make us exist forever. Okay, I'm going to stop here. We will not be omniscient. We will not know everything. We will not be omnipotent. We will not be all-powerful. Okay? We will not be omnipresent. We will not be able to be everywhere in one place. These are all attributes of God. We're not going to be these things. Okay? We, we, we are a creature. And um, unless somebody in here created themselves, you're still going to be a creature. No matter how long you live, you're still going to be a creature. God is not a creature. He is a creator. He is the creator, okay? That's why this is very different, okay? So we got we to, gotta, as great as this sounds, and we're like, oh, immortality? Like, we're going to be gods and lightning bolts and all sorts of things? No. No, that's not what it's going to be like, okay? We're going to be with God. We're going to see a little more about what this is going to look like right now. Go over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, listen to how Peter describes this. Okay, so we, so we read Jesus' words, we read Paul's words, we read John's words. Here we go, Peter. Okay, this is everybody. I mean, for the most part, it's pretty much everybody. We, we even read the author of Hebrews. We don't even know who that was. Um, <laughs> Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, the promises, okay, the promises of God, through those promises, look at what it says, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> we, don't, we don't get a lot more. But we know we're going to be changed. We know we're going to be with God. We're going to see a little bit more about what the new heaven and the new earth looks like. But, but we're going to be somehow partakers. We're going to be participating. We're going to be with God. Again, united now, united forever. United in eternity. Like, that's the point here. And we're going to be partakers of this divine nature. We're not going to be God, but we're going to be with him. We're going to be united with him. So much so that when we look at our lives now, we go, it doesn't even compare. It's a blip. It's a dot. Yeah, it stinks. But it's not even worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that waits for us. All right, turn over to Revelations chapter 21. Yeah, two more, and then we're going to actually be to verse 2. Of, <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry, people. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. So there's this, there's this mental image that we have of glorification that like, maybe not glorification, but what we have of like eternity. And like clouds, harps, gates, and like we're just like floating around, singing a lot of songs. That's about it, right? And you're like, yeah. Sounds good. 
<laughs> I have to say this sounds good. I can't wait. It's like eating your broccoli, right? Like, I know it's good for me, and I know I should like it. But seriously, this is how we see these things. But I want you to look at this. And, and first, and I'll open up this can of worms, and you guys can go do all your research, but there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and that's where we're going to dwell. It's going to look, okay, minus the sin, minus the separation from God, I think it's going to look a lot more like the Garden of Eden than it is going to look like us floating around on clouds. I think it's going to be us working the ground and enjoying things, no thorns, no, no, no weeds. <laughs> Sign me up, <laughs> right? There, it's going to be different, and it's hard to unpack all that. I encourage you guys to go research it, but here it says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It's talking about the end times here. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. This, this, everything, gone, gone. The sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That sound good? Oh, praise God. That's, that sounds amazing. And here's the thing. This is, this, is, this is the Garden of Eden, right? Like, this is even better than that, and I won't get into all of that, but, like, like we won't even have, the, the, we, won't, we won't accidentally, trying to think through my, theological words that I choose here. We're not going to be like Adam and Eve, okay? Adam and Eve sinned, didn't they? That's why we're dealing with all of this. That will not be our circumstance. Somehow, some way, we're going to have free will, and that will is going to be completely aligned with God, and we will not sin, okay? You won't be a robot. I don't know how all these things work, okay? And I'm going to spend the next three chapters in Romans telling you how I don't know how all these things work, okay? All right? All right, turn over to uh, chapter 22, verse 3. Revelation, chapter 22, verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. I don't think I put this verse up here, so I apologize. And it says in verse 5, and night will be no more. There will need... They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We're the they. We will reign forever and ever. And there will not be, we won't turn on lights. How does this work? There's not sun. God is our light. God is light. There's not going to be any shadows. I don't know. Just... Just spend some time thinking about it because it's, it's glory. It's what it is. Everything about it is perfect. And this isn't just some pipe dream, right? This isn't just something that we've conjured up. This, this, this begins with Jesus saying these things and the rest saying the same stuff, that, that there's this glorification that is waiting, an eternal weight of glory. Like, like the weight of this glory is so incredible this is what we have to wait for. So, in light of all of that, how are we doing? How are we doing with this stuff? Because this stuff is heavy, right? It's really heavy. And there's, and there's pain, and there's frustration, and there's broken relationships, and there's all sorts of junk here. And there's lives that, man, I'll tell you, pastorally like it just breaks my heart because I hear it right and and it's tough and so what do you say what do you do how do you deal with this stuff you go I don't know but this is gonna be really good it's gonna be great hang on 
And that's basically what Paul says next in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 19. Listen to what, how he describes this. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Like The creation, like this isn't just us. Like This is all of creation. He's going to double down on this again. He's going to say this. Like, it's waiting for like just everything to be right, because right now everything's wrong. Everything's wrong other than the, the little bits and pieces we get from the Holy Spirit. Right? Verse 20, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain what? The freedom of the glory of the children of God. What a beautiful, like just underline that statement. The, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Like if you're a child of God, you're going to get freedom in this glorification. Like you, you will truly, forever, eternally feel free. Free from our bondage to, to sin, right? Our temptations to all of that stuff. Gone. Gone completely. And look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Sorry, who have the first fruits of the Spirit? We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, now he's not saying that we're waiting for the adoption like you are adopted. Okay, he's saying that like that's when it's going to be like fully right, like like completely clearly you're going to be with God forever. What we just read in Revelation, that's what he's saying. Like that full revealing of of who the sons and daughters of God are, and we're going to be with Him. And look at what he says: We who have the first fruits of the Spirit. You know what he's talking about here? This is this path of sanctification. This is this is the little tastes that we get of heaven now. The things that are actually beautiful and God-glorifying now are little bits of what we will experience in, in plenty in heaven. That's the beautiful part of this. And so what are those things? What are those things as we live through our life? If you turn over to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Listen to what he says the Holy Spirit does. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, co-heirs, right? Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is sitting here going, you're an adopted child of God. You're a co-heir. You have this inheritance. You have it. That's why God gave us his Holy Spirit, to remind us every day in the midst of all of this that you've got this. That's what he's doing. That's why the Holy Spirit's there. And so when you see a heart changed, when you see life, like the meaningful things in life, when you see repentance, when you see people turn, when you, when you see a relationship reconciled, when you see God doing his work, when you get to partake in that, when you get to participate in building God's kingdom, you go, man, this is it. This is it. This is, this is purpose. It's not, we're not playing around on a playground over here just waiting for our time to expire. That's not it. That's not why you were created. God gives you his Holy Spirit so that we can now live our lives in a way that is glorifying to him and it's the best thing for us. That's what he gives us. That's what he promises us. Verse 24. Romans 8, 24. For in this hope we were saved. That's what we're saved. This is, this is faith. This is trust, right? That this is, that what God has said is going to happen is going to happen. Okay? Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That last word... <laughs> That's a tough one, right? We endure, we suffer, and we go through these things. And God goes, wait for it. Just wait with patience. 
one last verse here. Hebrews 11.1 1 describes what our faith looks like. And he describes exactly this. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's our faith. So all of this, you know, Paul, remember, we got we to remember, like, Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, and he's, and he's putting everybody on equal ground, right? And if you, if you back up a few weeks, quite a few weeks, that's where we started with this thing. There's, there's the Jews, and there's the Gentiles, and he's writing to both of them, going like, hey, you guys are together in this. Like, God's plan, God's, this is God's plan. I'm, I'm explaining to you God's plan, and stop with the rivalries, stop with the dissensions, stop with the divisions, be, be united, because you aren't doing this. This is God doing this, and he's doing this through his Holy Spirit. And he's always been doing this through his Holy Spirit. He didn't change game plans. He's not on plan B. This is it. This is what he's doing, and he's doing this for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to record uh, a, U, a few YouTube videos. We've gotten four questions, and I thought I was going to do it this week, and I just couldn't get to it. So the people that have submitted the four questions, I appreciate them. Some of them are <laughs> pretty challenging, so it's good. But one, like, one of those is that as we, as we look through this and we try to figure out how we ought to live our lives and how we, how we interact knowing that we have this glorification, we struggle we struggle understanding how, how we can long for this and be eager for this and at the same time be dealing with what we're dealing with. And so I, I just, I ask you guys to endure, be patient, come alongside of each other. Because it's in this community, not just this community, in the community of the brothers and sisters of Christ, right, across the globe, that God intends for us to encourage each other, to remind each other, and to watch the Holy Spirit do his work. Amen. <laughs> Let me pray. Father,